It all starts with the work you do on thyself. It's easier to take the easy way out. It's easier to beat yourself up and stay on the couch than it is to drag yourself off the couch and face uncertainty. It's easier to pretend you want to be something than to be something. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Patrick Cook. Welcome to Being. Being is a place where we gather to explore some of life's most difficult questions. What does it mean to lead a meaningful life? What does it mean to live a life of purpose or on purpose? How do we make sense of the world? Really what we're asking is, what the hell is going on? My intention with this podcast is to explore what it means to be human in the modern world through the lens of creativity, consciousness, and personal development. Through authentic conversations with a wide array of guests, including artists, intellectuals, scientists, visionaries, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, Being ventures to make collective sense of an increasingly complex world with the unifying goal of building a sustainable future for all. As humanity continues to march full steam towards extinction, we can no longer afford to simply ask, what is best for me? The question now must become, what is best for me and the whole simultaneously. And so, dear audience, I want to inspire you to take full responsibility, to find your purpose, and to engage your evolution as a conscious agent. I challenge you to live your being. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe to the show and get a new episode delivered directly to your device every Friday. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please do rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whichever platform you prefer. And hey, I might even read your review on a future episode. Here's another five-star review from Chivo Max. Great conversation, he says. A great podcast by a person keenly committed to sharing the power of personal development. For show notes and more information, head on over to being-podcast.com. Now, on with the show. My guest today is Michael G. Dash. Michael is an entrepreneur, business coach, speaker, and philanthropist. He is also a recovering drug and gambling addict. His excellent best-selling book, Chasing the High, was released in 2019 and documents his life as an entrepreneur through addiction, lawsuits, and his journey to the edge. Michael also founded the Fate Series, or From Addict to Entrepreneur, and MD Coaching and Mentoring, where he works with entrepreneurs, helping them streamline their business while increasing profits by helping them find clarity, consistency, and connection. He's also the co-founder of Activated.life, a social movement focused on inspiring a culture of positivity, authenticity, passion, empathy, and resilience. Michael Dash, welcome to Being. What is up, my brother? Patrick Cook, what's up, my man? How are you? Happy to be here. 
I'm fantastic. So excited to drop in with you. We've uh, tried a few times, had some technical issues, so this is really exciting. We got it figured out. Uh, Michael and I first met in Bali a couple of years ago, another unconventional lifer, uh, and I was immediately drawn to his uh, charisma and energy, and also your story, which I found incredibly inspiring and uh, mirrored my story quite closely. So I'm really excited to drop in with you and uh, see where you're at and see where you've been more more interestingly. Uh, Michael is the author of this fantastic book, Chasing the High, which I have read and I highly recommend. We're going to dive into um, the wisdom contained in this today. Uh, but the subtitle is An Entrepreneur's Mindset Through Addiction, Lawsuits, and His Journey to the Edge. Woo! <laughs> so, so much to unpack from there. <laughs> so I thought maybe uh, a good place to start would be just like um, if you could you know, walk us through because you were a successful entrepreneur, you still are, um, but at the height of your career, you know, on the outside, you appeared to be incredibly successful, and you were, but on the inside, you were dealing with demons, you were dealing with addictions to gambling, drugs, other things, a totally different story. And so you've totally transformed your life and turned it all around, and that is such an inspiring story. So I think maybe we can start with where were you at the, you know, the depths of your addiction um, and your despair? What was your life like? Where were you? Well, it's an interesting question because I've had several times where I've been at the depths of my despair. <laughs> there wasn't just one. Uh, there wasn't just one. And I had several addictions at different points in my life. So, you know, there were kind of ebbs and flows to it all. Um, I remember at the height of it when I was gambling and doing cocaine and uh, completely out of control doing GHB and popping pills and doing other stuff. I, I really had some of my lowest times, probably in like either Las Vegas and Atlantic City, when I was actually in the casinos and also betting on sporting events and at the same time doing coke and drinking and up till four, five, six in the morning around the blackjack table and actually physically getting ill and not being able to run from the blackjack table to the bathroom in time before wow. I vomited all over myself. And it was, and, and I was so sick at the time that I vomited in my shirt, went into the bathroom, tried to clean this white t-shirt off, turned it inside out, put it on and went back to the gam to the table and continued gambling and drinking. Wow. Wow. So I think those were some of the darkest times. Um, but like when you're in them, they're not really that. I mean, they're dark, but they're not as dark as they are when everything subsides. And mm. then when you, excuse me, when you realize what you just did and when mm. you're in that self-loathing state where you're humiliated at your own behavior and who you are and what you represent. And, the, and that for me was never while I was actually in it causing the destruction. It was like when I sobered up the next day, mm. those feelings would hit me like a brick wall. Mm. Wow, man. What a, what a crazy thing to think about just being in the depths of that darkness and not really, like you said, not really having the contrast of the light to see how dark it is. You know, only in retrospect, when we look back, it's like, holy shit, dude, that was really deep and dark. So, you know, before we, we transition into the light and your transformation, like, how did you get to that place? Like, was there, 
I'm curious, uh, mostly about like childhood, like what were, what are the conditions that set somebody up to go to that dark place? How did you get there? Well, for me, yeah, for me, I grew up the son of an entrepreneur. So I, I was in a middle-class family. I was very fortunate from that standpoint. Uh, and I learned from my father early on what it was to be successful. At least this is how it was framed to me. And it meant being the first one in the office and the last one out of the office. And that's mm-hmm. how you obtained success back then. You know, this is 20, 25 years ago. Well, actually, sorry, this is 35 years ago when I was growing up, 40 years ago. And I was watching my dad build his business. Back then, first one in, last one out worked. Now, I don't advise that to anybody. Like, you can work smarter, <laughs> not harder. But yeah. through my old career, all I did was, was burn both ends of the candle. So I would be working my ass off, but then I'd be partying my ass off at the same time. Everything was balls to the wall. Everything was at light speed. Everything was chasing the high whatever that high might be. So I wanted to be the man. My ego was driving all my decisions, you know, and I was brainwashed, uh, partially my doing, but also media around you, parent influence, friend influence. I was brainwashed into believing that money equaled happiness. And so Mm. I chased money at all points of life. Whether I was gambling, I was chasing money, Whether I was selling drugs, I was chasing money. If I was doing drugs, I was probably doing them to avoid uh, uh, looking at how much money I lost. Um, You know, everything. And then, you know, I was working my ass off because I want to be successful. I wanted to be better than the next person. I wanted to be richer than all my friends. I wanted to have the houses, the cars, the suits. And then, uh, then the women would come. Then the happiness would come. That's what I believed based on my upbringing and the media and, you know, everything around you. Everything's glamour. You know, entrepreneurship's glamorized. And it, it has been. I think more and more people are talking about the downsides of entrepreneurship now and the things to look out for. But over the past, you know, 10 years, uh, 15 years with social media, you know, blowing up everywhere, I think it's really more like this fantasy than uh, reality for most people. And, you know, I bought into that as well. And so that's kind of what led me, led me there, that pursuit of things, that pursuit of mm. money, that pursuit of adrenaline rush, and all those things I would get from chasing that dollar, chasing that deal, mm. chasing, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Mm. So you mentioned a couple of things I want, I want to ask you about in that response, uh, that your ego was driving the boat, that your ego was in control. Was there a point or maybe multiple points, as you said, there is like multiple dark, dark nights of the soul for you, where you had a moment of clarity, where you recognized, you know, and then this is easy to do in hindsight, obviously, but when you're in it, it's very difficult to see with any perspective what's really going on. And so was there a moment, was there a flash of light that sort of shook you out of it and said, holy shit, this is, this can't continue. You know, was there that moment for you? I know, you know, there was because chapter two, the moment of clarity, page 33, that's chapter two. So yes, there was a moment of clarity, but there were actually several moments of clarity because I had several addictions that spread. Um, but, um, a specific moment of clarity was when I was driving with my brother up to Massachusetts where uh, from New Jersey, where we celebrated Thanksgiving every year. 
and my brother would not allow me to listen to sports radio. And I always mm. listen to sports radio because that's where I would get all the updates on the sporting events that I was going to gamble on. So I needed the latest news. Well, he told me he wasn't, he, he wouldn't let me listen to it because he was going to Gamblers Anonymous and they weren't, they didn't allow you to listen to it. So I thought to myself, um, we argued back and forth and we took a three and a half hour drive. After the drive, I felt so calm. It was like the calmest drive I ever took. My mind wasn't racing 100 miles an hour. And we listened to music and I was like, wow, that wasn't so bad. Uh, but then I just thought to myself, what did this Gamblers Anonymous do to my brother? I need to know. Not that I wanted help or anything like that. I just wanted to know what they did to my brother because I wanted him back. So <laughs> on be, because of that curiosity, and, and I'm a big believer in tapping into your positive curiosity, um, I went to a meeting. And when I was at that meeting, that moment of clarity hit me. And when I heard this bus driver, a police officer, a mailman, a gym teacher, all blue collar men and women who were talking about their gambling issues. I looked around and I thought, what am I doing in this room with a bunch of degenerate losers like this? And then I listened to everybody talk. And after those two hours, I realized I had more in common with everybody in that room than I did with my closest friends. Wow. And I worked the program and I went back every single week and I never gambled again. And I haven't gambled it's been 15 years in June. And that was my first real addiction. And that was the first real sobriety from an addiction was centered around gambling. I had others throughout my life um, with, you know, you know, stopping cocaine and then Adderall, which really took, uh, uh, took a control of me when I was running my business. Um, and GHB, these are, that was a party drug I did every single weekend and Oxycontins for a long time. So I had my plethora of all that stuff. Um, so I had several moments of clarity, but, you mm. know, even after, uh, even within the past, like five, the past decade, right. When I wasn't doing, I haven't done cocaine in over 10 years. You know, I haven't gambled in over 15. However, just two years ago, I was addicted to Adderall and mm. I was addicted to GHB. And I've only stopped those things in the past couple of years. And it was the best thing I ever did because Adderall specifically would whatever emotional state you're in, Adderall elevates that state either up mm. or down. So if you're in a negative emotional state and you're popping Adderalls, like you're on the verge of suicide, like you're so depressed. And if you're wow. having a great day, it's like the best day you could ever have in your life. And you're on top of the world. And that, I basically allowed Adderall to affect like your heart would race. I mean, it was like cocaine in a pill. It would mm. allow you to focus and get a lot of work done. And that was like the appeal of it. Cause mm. I could crush like two, three days work. At least I felt that way, you know, in a day, but I would also, I was leading, I was not leading with empathy. So I was leading my employees and I was, uh, frankly, I was a, a dick. I mean, just uh, like I wasn't really an empathetic leader, especially in the beginning days, like towards the end, I changed. But I ruled more from an authoritative standpoint than from an empathetic mm. uh, teaching mentorship standpoint. Mm. 
Wow. Yeah. So much to unpack there as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, struck me was when you were in that first Gamblers Anonymous meeting and you found that you had everything in common with those other people, what motivated you? Like, What was the mindset shift to say, okay, this is an issue that I want to deal with? Because you could have said easily, like, this is bullshit. I'm out of here and just go back to your ways. But there had to have been something that shifted within you. What was that for you? Well, somebody, my brother introduced me to this guy there uh, and he got in my face and he called me out on my bullshit and I was trying to like mm. bullshit him around him, but he knew he would, you know, he's been in the, he's like what they call a vet, you know, he'd been in the program for a while and he could smell bullshit from a mile away and I was full <laughs> of bullshit. I mean, so he just called me out right away and it was something he kind of said to me and then he called me the next day, he called me the day after and it just kind of like started and I just kind of stopped. Again, I wasn't going in with the intention of stopping. I never mm -hmm. thought about stopping, but I also never thought about how much destruction it was causing me. So when I was mm -hmm. in there, I started thinking about those things when I was in the room and mm -hmm. um, realizing that it was getting out of control. I was making mm -hmm. a lot. I made a, a good, like I was always a great salesperson. So coming out of college, my first year, I made 80 K. I mean, mm -hmm. I made a hundred K my second year. This is 20 something years ago, a hundred K your second year. I mean, that's a lot for like second year out of college, 20 years ago. Totally. Now it's like, whatever. But I mean, back then, you know, it was a lot of loot. Um, so I always was like excelled in, in, in sales. So I was always kind of pushing myself, uh, and chasing that last dollar. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, I just wanted more in every other like aspect of my life. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that sort of manifests in, like you said earlier, you know, when when we have multiple addictions, it's very easy to move from one and just say, oh, I'm not gambling anymore. But all of a sudden you're a coke addict or you're an alcoholic or Adderall or whatever. It just shift it from one to the next, you know. Um, but what I wanted to ask you about Adderall, actually, because when you were describing it, it's like it can be incredibly enticing. Like, wow, I can get lots of work done. I can feel really great and be twice as productive. Like even in my head, I was like, shit, maybe I should try that. But what came up for me is like, is yeah, don't is don't uh, no. Don't. <laughs> but is the quality of the work that you're doing, you know, you get sucked into this like, oh, I feel so alive. And, you know, and it's kind of like creating when you're drunk or high, like if I'm writing a song. And I'm like, I'm drunk, you know, when I was drinking and, and it's like, oh my God, this is awesome. I go back and listen to the next day. It's garbage, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, like taking substances in order to be creative, in, in order to be more productive, are you really getting the same quality of, of results that you would be if you were clear? How did you find that? I mean, well, I mean, for me, it was two part. Like if I'm just sitting at a computer and just writing emails and stuff and, and making mm. phone calls and like selling, I could get, yeah, I could do just as good a work. But right. how I treated people, how right. I led as a, as a leader, uh, no, because I wasn't myself. I was in a, a different, like, I, again, my emotional state was altered. So even though I feel like from a sales standpoint, it benefited me because or it could be see, it's seen as a benefit because it, like everybody wants a high energy salesperson. Like if you're cold calling people, it's a very tough job, cold calling. Like no, they don't want to talk to you. 
right? Yeah. And you have to convince them to stay on the phone and you got to sell them something and get a meeting with them or whatever. So when you're in a high energy state, like I'm more willing to listen to somebody in a high energy state than somebody that's like monotone. So from that standpoint, yeah, you know, it probably, uh, it wasn't, it probably wasn't a, a negative, definitely wasn't a negative, but in like managing with other people and partnering with other people in like mm. any of them solving, coming up with solutions to challenges. Yeah. It's way worse, way worse because mm. like before I would even let the person finish telling me what the problem, what the situation was, I'd already have an answer. Right. I wouldn't even let them finish. And I had the answer to their question, but I didn't even know what their question was. So how could I have the answer? But I did. <laughs> There's that ego sneaking in. It's like, oh, I got the answer. No problem, man. I'm like, I'm the CEO. Come on. Of course I got the fucking answer. Forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> Just illogical. It's Ill you know, it's really like illogical thinking, but like you're so deluded in your own mind that yeah. you've convinced yourself you're something that only your mind believes. Mm. And your mind is full of lies. Because, yeah. uh, you know, most of the time we are putting things in our head that if we said to a friend, if we said to somebody else, they would probably punch us. Like totally. the things we say to ourselves and the things we allow in our head to get into our mindset, if we did to somebody else or if a friend did to us, we would like hate him. But we yeah. do it to ourselves all the time. Why is that? I think it's uh, it's uh, it's easier to take the easy way out. It's easier to beat yourself up mm. than, and, and stay on the couch than it is to drag yourself off the couch and face uncertainty, mm. right? It's easier to pretend you want to be something than to be something. Mm. It takes yes. hard work to do things, right? And a lot of times there's no easy road. Mm -hmm. Like I always like to say, the road to success is always under construction. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. And it's true. And that, and, and that could mean just sobriety because sobriety mm. is success. Mm. Sobriety itself is success. Mm. Every day you wake up and you're sober, it's success. Because mm. I'll tell you what, majority of people aren't waking up and staying sober all day, especially in the times we're living in now with so much uncertainty in the world. Mm. You know, I mean, I have to tell you, you look at these numbers, but like alcoholism's gone up, addiction's gone up. Everything's gone up this year because of the extenuating circumstances and the continued you know, um, just push, you know, for opioids across the country in the U S yeah. I'm speaking at least, but it's gone up everywhere. You know, this, this, uh, this COVID stuff is just another reason for people to give themselves an excuse to go drink or yeah. to go do drugs or to whatever. Not that we needed an excuse, but, uh, because we can come up with any excuse. I mean, I would do drugs because it was raining out. Because it was sunny out, because I won a business deal, because I lost a business deal, because my family, my family was happy with me, because my family was pissed at me, because my girlfriend was happy with me, because my girlfriend is pissed. I mean, whatever. We can find, we can skew anything to fit our narrative. Totally. Hey, are you feeling lost, frustrated, 
angry about the state of the world but unsure what to do about it, I get it. The world is a pretty messed up place right now. Yet in these interesting times of shattered realities, many people are using alcohol to escape and numb their feelings of anxiety, dread, and uncertainty. I know, I did it for years. This is why I've made it my mission to support brave souls in mastering their inner world and finding a deeper sense of purpose. To that end, I created Reset 2020. Reset is a personal transformation mastermind group with the intention of resetting your relationship with alcohol and becoming the best version of yourself in an empowering, supportive online community. To check out more about Reset 2020 and to watch my masterclass video, head on over to go.patrickcooklife.com. Remember, cook is spelled with an E, C-O-O-K-E. So it's go.patrickcooklife.com. All right, now back to the show. So uh, I would love to hear what your advice would be if some of the audience resonate with what you're saying as far as, you know, um, going down a dark path during these challenging times, drinking more, doing more drugs, checking out more, whatever the case may be. But they do have some level of awareness like, okay, this is not where I want to be going, but I don't know how to get out of it. What would be your advice for like some first steps of people in the depths of addiction? My, I mean, my, my, I have several pieces of advice, but the first thing would be wake up tomorrow and just make one commitment for the whole day. Mm. And it's, you're not going to drink mm. or you're not going to drug. Just do it tomorrow mm. and just see how you feel. Mm. And then wake up the next day and do the same thing. I encourage people to go check out a meeting and you could do it virtually. They're on Zooms all day, meetings all across the country. Um, because Gamblers Anonymous, for me, had a huge impact on my recovery. Now, oh. I was never an alcoholic. I never really drank. I, I drank alcohol while I was doing drugs, not to drink alcohol per se. Right. right. But <laughs> the other drugs, I did not go to narcotics. I went to Narcotics Anonymous, but it did not resonate with me. For me, it was a completely different experience at Gamblers Anonymous. And I've heard this from alcoholics, too, who've gone to Alcoholics Anonymous and tried Narcotics Anonymous. So, you know, I can't speak really to I didn't really have a great experience in NA. But I know AA and GA. Uh, I mean, those are, you know, fantastic meetings to check out. But on top of that, it's really important to plan. If you want to succeed, you must plan. You don't just wake up one day and you're a success story in anything you do in life. You have to have a plan. You have to execute the plan. And then you see success, right? So, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term, you know, uh, um, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Totally. And it's true in your sobriety also. So it's important to put a habit structure in place for yourself. There's a chapter in the book called The Habit of Habit Making, and it talks about the importance of having strong habits in your life. And as you evolve over time to your habits should evolve with you. The same things that were habits five years ago, you know, might not necessarily resonate with you today because the whole goal in life is that you're evolving as a human. Mm. And if you're evolving, then your habits should evolve too. 
And I, I strongly suggest that if people are listening to this and this is resonating and they, they do want to make a change, like don't try to change everything at once. It will not work. You will fail. You will fail. I'm telling you right now. Don't try it. Make slight shifts and slight changes and incorporate those into your life. Get one new change starting tomorrow and get that in for two to three weeks and then introduce another small change. And it could be real easy. It could be reading 10 to 20 pages of a book every night. You're not doing that. You decide you want to do that. It could be going on a walk every single day in the morning before your workday starts. Right. It could be taking a hike. It could be riding your bike. It could be a million things, breath work, meditation, anything. But choose one and start it tomorrow and do it for two weeks straight and then choose another and then do that for two weeks. And now you have something we call momentum. And then you can do, you know, then you can incorporate a bigger change into your life. So I suggest start with small changes, allow the momentum to build and then make a bigger change because then you're preparing yourself for battle almost. And when we're changing, it is a battle of the new self versus the old self. And the old self doesn't want to give up. So it's not an easy one. So you got to really, really train yourself. Mm. Yes, I love that. Uh, morning routines are, are a big part of what uh, I do for myself and, and with my clients. Uh, really tuning into yourself first thing in the morning is super powerful. And like you said, those modalities, whether it's a walk in nature or it's meditation or it's journaling or reading, something just to, to ground you into yourself for the day. You know, um, but one of the challenges I face definitely, and a lot of my clients face as well is, is that negative self-talk that we talked about a little while ago, right? So even if you, um, consciously or intellectually want to make changes for the positive, you still have this voice in the back of your head saying you're not enough. You'll be a failure. You know, whatever that voice is telling you, that's where the real transformation takes place is addressing those voices and the, the, uh, Genesis where those voices came from in the first place, which often harkens back to, you know, something your father said, or something a teacher said, or something a religious teacher said, you know, back in the day that stuck with you that you don't know is, is operating in your background. Like I'm lazy or, you know, you're not worthy or you'll never amount to anything, whatever it is. So the invitation is while you're taking these first small steps to get out of addiction, also be doing the work to cultivate self-awareness. And to listen to that voice and say, and, you know, write it down. This is another thing I do with myself and my clients, like listen to that voice during the day and write down what it's saying to you. Like, does it say that you're lazy? Does it say that you're a, a failure? Does it say whatever it is, write it down. And by the end of the day, you're like, oh my God, 40 <laughs> times today, I told myself something negative that if I said that to a friend or a loved one, they'd disown me. Right. And so just yeah. cult cultivating that awareness around how bad the voice in your head, you know, the negative self-talk, super, super important. Did you have something to add to that? No, I just, uh, I agree. And, and it's, you know, consistency is important. Um, and it, it's ironic how consistent we can be when things are negative, but when we want yes. to be positive, <laughs> like it's a lot harder to be consistent with it. So it's a work, it's a work in progress. Like it really yeah. is. You have to, it, you have to move it from your unconscious to your conscious nature, to the front of your head, right? Totally. To the lobes 100%. in the front of your head here, to your third eye, as they say. 
you have yeah. to move it in front and be consistent about it and cognizant about it. If you're not cognizant about it, you can't be consistent about it. Yeah, it controls you. You know, those voices will control you until you bring them into your awareness, 100%. Yeah, totally. um, we've dipped into the word success a few times so far. So I think this might be a good time to, to ask you about it. Um, you mentioned at the beginning your father taught you that success is, you know, first guy in, last guy out. You know, that's kind of the old paradigm model and chasing the money and the prestige or the fame or whatever it might be. So I'm curious, how has your definition, what is your definition of success now and how has it changed over time? Great question. I don't really, even though I might've said the word success a couple of times, I don't really look at success. I, I feel like it's, um, how would I, how would I say it properly? I just feel like it's, it's this word. It's this kind of like thing on top of the mountain, like I am in the picture in back of me. Uh, that like means something different to everybody. I, I, for me, I live for fulfillment, not success. So for me, it's much better to be fulfilled than successful. Because successful, I feel like it's fleeting. It comes, it goes. It's measured to something you've accomplished, not to who you are not to who you are. Beautiful. So I want to be a fulfilled human being every day. Yes. And how do I fulfill myself? Well, I look at it like we all have buckets in life. Okay. I have, you know, we have buckets for, for business. We have buckets for health. We have buckets for nutrition. We have buckets for spirituality, buckets for travel, buckets for community all these different buckets. And I try to fill each bucket at least halfway every week of my life. And if those are filled every week, then that is true fulfillment. Mm. Sorry, I have to do this with my hand. For some reason, <laughs> I feel fulfilled when I'm doing this with my hand. But yeah, filling those buckets up in these other, in the different areas create fulfillment. And then, mm. and then, uh, you know, other people talk about balance. And again, it's a word I don't use. I don't use balance. Mm. There's no such thing as balance. It's no. fulfillment, right? And what is success? Well, you know, success to me is fulfillment. But if you want to talk about the word success, then it's like, okay, being happy and confident about who I am. Mm. Giving back to others and paying it forward because it will pay you back, right? Mm. And learning. Every single day, learning something mm -hmm. about yourself, about others, about something new. Learning is huge. So mm. those are the things that I feel like I've had a successful day. It has nothing to do with closing a business deal. It has nothing to do with more cash in my pocket. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with, uh, with, with um, building, with learning, building inner strength. Um, having community around me, which then leads to connection. And those are the things that I really, at this point in my life, value more than anything. Mm, fantastic. Uh, you mentioned knowing who you are. And I think this is something that is super important um, because we do get sold this idea by society that we need to be uh, a certain way. And whether that means successful with money 
or with women or, you know, with whatever it is that we think will fill us up in order to play some role. So we're accepted. So we're worthy of love or, you know, whatever it is. So unpacking that, that, um, programming that we're, we're taught when we're kids, like you need to do that. You need to go to the right school. You need to get the grades. You need to get the job and the career and the money in the house and the wife and the kids, all these steps on the ladder of traditional success. We tie that to our identity, right? And so if we are not succeeding in those areas, we feel a sense of worthlessness, you know, because, but what you said a minute ago, that's not how you evaluate yourself now. So how has that changed, that sort of sense of identity, how before maybe it was about chasing the high, chasing the money, chasing the prestige, now it's about a deeper sense of fulfillment. How do you make that leap? Well, I had everything that I thought would make me happy, and it didn't make me happy when I had it. You know, I built a company, I was doing five and a half million dollars a year in revenue. You know, I had a uh, uh, nice car. I had four houses. I had a bar. I had all this stuff. And I was an empty human being. Empty, self-loathing, getting wasted all the time. You know, ending up in a six-year lawsuit with my ex-business partner uh, that cost me basically everything I had made. I mean, I lost, I spent $1 million in legal fees on a case with my partner over six years of my life, that million dollars was in my bank account. Like I had the money, but I don't have it anymore because my ego drove my emotional state with my ex-business partner. And I take responsibility for my part. You know, she obviously played a part as well, but I take responsibility for what happened from that. I learned, I learned what matters in life because it came to a point where I realized when I'm dead and buried, Nobody will give a flying fuck if I won or lost a lawsuit. And I shouldn't care either. The money I can make again. The time I can't get back. Mm. And so I, if I could do it all over again, of course I would. I wouldn't go into the lawsuit. Not because of the money. Because of the six years of my life I lost. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it wouldn't it'd be nice to have a million dollars in the bank right now, but that's not my reality. So, you know, you move on, you move on, you learn, you help others. So now I do executive coaching. I help other CEOs, presidents, executives and companies um, learn from me because I've made the mistakes already. Mm. Not because I'm some brilliant human being, although I think I'm pretty smart, but that's another story. Uh, no, I'm just, I, 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 I'm just joking, but I, I made the mistakes. I have the battle wounds. You don't have to go through the same thing I did to learn. And, you know, one of those things is with litigation. If you're in litigation, get out. Get out. Just pay it. Negotiate some sort of deal. It is not worth your time, your energy, your emotional state, your family well-being, and your personal well-being. And I didn't, you notice I didn't mention money in any of those. It's not worth those five things. Mm. So how do, like, it, the, I think, you know, there's, there's a reason that there's the, the cliche maxim that says um, money can't buy you happiness, you know, and we hear that, but there's still this lure 
this magnetism towards that lifestyle, towards the fame, towards the money, towards the glamour, the riches, the houses, the cars. You know, so even though we understand that intellectually, especially young people now in the States, you know, there's there's this draw towards it. So how do you learn those lessons without having to go through the experiences that you've gone through? You know, like hearing that, you know, money didn't make me happy, but they still go for it. You know, we're, we're still drawn to do that. Well, you know, you, you know, the age old saying our parents could tell us not to do something, but until we do it ourselves and learn the lesson, then it doesn't get, you know, it doesn't go through our thick heads. I mean, that's, that's one answer. The other answer is also, I feel like it's easier and easier now for people to begin working on themselves and who they are as a human being earlier in life because the tools are available. There's yoga, there's meditation, there's sound therapies, there's music, there's all these thin modalities to help with mental illness, to help with addiction, to help with, you know, um, uh, um, when I say mental illness, addiction, yeah, to help, to help with like uh, mindset there's podcasts, great podcasts all over that you can listen to positive information going into your head, right? So I feel like now more than ever, there's everything available to you. You have to go out there and seek it, right? And, you know, if you're going to get sucked into social media, then it's going to play a bad role in your life. Social media can be a really, really great thing. can be a really, really poisonous thing. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, they just came out with the Netflix episode. Um, uh, what was it called? Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. Yeah. Like I encourage everybody should watch that if they haven't watched that, but it just shows the manipulation that they have on us and mm-hmm. we allow it. So, you know, social media can be a very dangerous, addictive thing. People go to it because, you know, their adrenaline, get, you know, they get those adrenaline hits. So those likes are like in endorphins you know like boom mm. boom 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 so mm. it's like an addiction itself yeah but totally. i do feel that you know it all starts with the work you do on thyself mm. and if you're not working on yourself then your morals aren't going to be in line with mm. what your goals might be in life yeah so you got to put the work in you know we, we all yeah. have to Hundred percent, and it just came up for me like a powerful motivator in that direction is you know now like when we're, what we're talking about earlier is kind of that masculine energy, success, penetrating, money, strategy, marketing, all these things, right? And the sort of the feminine energy is is the expansiveness, the creativity, um, the emotional awareness, you know, and those have kind of been vilified as like you know those are you know, for little girls, I don't need that. I'm, I'm just going to be at this powerful man, you know, even, even women can embody that energy. Look at Hillary Clinton as a perfect example of the embodiment of masculine energy in a woman. But I think if you can shift the mindset and realize, okay, if I want to be successful in the world, whatever that means for you, it is more, it's, it's in my best interest, in my benefit to be a more whole human being, which means um, getting in touch with myself, knowing my emotions, uh, cultivating emotional awareness and intelligence, you know, being able to connect with my emotions and express them properly makes me a more um, successful, you know, in the business world, right? So it's, it's, it's creating that balance. And actually, in my opinion, if you are trying to be successful in the world, 
and you're not in touch with your emotions, you know, you haven't cultivated emotional awareness, you are at a distinct disadvantage now. So that might not have been true 20, 30, 40 years ago, but now I think you have to be in touch with your emotions and, and deal with that reactivity to deal with that trauma and, and, and heal yourself. That's how you can become a more powerful contributor and, and be a success in the world. So that's just one thing I, that came up for me. Um, I want to talk about money for a second, because this is something that's at the center of almost everything we're talking about when you talk about traditional success. And my relationship with money, and I think this is true for a lot of people, has changed a lot over time. Um, I used to think that you know, if you're rich and you've made money, you, you've probably screwed somebody over. You're probably an asshole. You're probably <laughs> op oppressing people. You know, And on some levels, that's true. But I, I sort of attached my notion of like, okay, I don't want to be those things. So I'm just going to do stuff that, you know, doesn't make me that, but it also doesn't make me any cash. You know? And so that was a big thing I had to overcome. So our relationship with money and the stories that we're told or the conditioning from when we're kids is massive. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your relationship with money and how it's changed over time. Yeah, well, it's been, it's very adversarial. It's been, an, I've had an adversarial relationship because for the majority of my life, all I was doing was accumulating and I just wanted to accumulate more and more and more. Whether it was gambling, it was accumulating drug dealing, bookying, sales. You know, for me, selling and closing a new deal was like snorting a line of coke. When I closed the deal, I would get such a high that it was like blowing a line of coke. Like that's what it felt like. Uh, and I wanted to duplicate it as much as possible. And I was good at it. So, um, you know, it, it really resonated with me. Um, but for me, it was just, I believed that money would equal happiness. Money would get me the girl. And until I had money, I wouldn't find a girl. And um, that I needed more money than my friends because it would give me access, access to places I wanted to be, access to the front of the line, access to a VIP room, access to whatever it is, right? It would give me access and it would give me power, right? Access and power are like all feed into the ego. These are big masculine egoic like drivers, right? And they drove my ego and my pursuit of money. And then I was in a lawsuit for six years after I bought a company, which I paid 1.35 million for. So I paid a million for the company up front. Lawsuit ended up being over $350,000, but it lasted six years, cost me another million dollars. So now I, I had a different relationship with money because now I was like, we have to make money every single day. So I have all these bills accumulating and all this debt to pay. And I was on my staff. Like, you got to close that. Every time they would make a mistake or something would happen, I would rip them, not help them. Because I was so pissed because I was under so much pressure because I owed all these bills to the lawyers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and in the interim of all this, I convinced myself I was going to go bankrupt. So I was going to the bank and withdrawing $9,999 in cash. And I did that like eight or nine times. And I researched around the country, where could I hide my money? So I wanted to find Indian reservation that still existed that had a bank. And there are five in the U.S. And I found one of them in San Francisco. So I boarded a plane with like $82,000 in cash. Flew to San Francisco from Utah. So I could hide this money in case 
I had to go bankrupt, which I had convinced myself I was going to have to do in this lawsuit. Wow. I mean, that's sick behavior. That's really messed up behavior. Yeah. And then I took all my houses and I transferred them to my father. I had four houses at the time. So I transferred 99% of them to my dad. So I only Mm -hmm. owned 1% because I was convinced I was going to go bankrupt. And I didn't want to lose everything I had built. But I never went bankrupt. The case got settled. I had to, I sold the company and I sold all my houses and I paid off all the debt that I had and started over. Mm. But the amount of time that I focused on things that the what ifs, I like to call, that everybody Mm. focuses on and that you put a lot of time and energy into it and 99% of the time they never happen. Yeah. Like, just last night, you know, I'm living here in Tulum, Mexico. They were expecting a Category 4 hurricane to come. Like, we got a little – and everything closed down at 12 o'clock yesterday, and there's boards up everywhere around town. I mean, we got a little sprinkle of rain. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying don't be prepared, but I'm also saying, you know, when you focus on all these negative – all these what if this happens, what if that – when you live from a place of fear, then your life will be dictated to you. Mm. So going, you know, and, and so going back to what you were saying with, with the money, after the lawsuit, my relationship changed. I went to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and said, I will never do anything for money again. Never. Mm. <laughs> because my business, I had like done it because of the money. The money was great. That's why I got into it. Yeah, and I was good at it. So that's why I stayed into it. So then I went, I'm never doing anything for money again. And then after about a year of that, I realized that if you want to do good, which is what my shirt says, you need money to have yeah. impact. Yeah. It's just the reality of the world and capitalism. If you yeah. want to help other people, you need money to have a massive impact. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. Every single person listening could have $5 in the bank account and can go and volunteer over the weekend and give back. But if you want massive like impact, you got to have money. So now I've come over to real, realizing like make money to give money, make money to do good. Like These are mm. the things that drive me. And now I realize, no, 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 I got to make money because I want to help other people. I mean, I'm involved with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I volunteer in prison systems. I want to create housing for formerly incarcerated as a transition into society. But I can't do that stuff unless I have money. Like, that's just the reality. Mm. So, um, so now I'm in a place where I feel like it's very important to earn as much money as we can. So you can do good with it. Not so I can accumulate anything, but so I can impact other people. And that's kind of my driving force. Mm, I totally agree. A hundred percent. And I think that's an important distinction to make is that, you know, especially for myself and and others that are sort of heart centered entrepreneurs who want to do great in the world, they want to do good things. And they're coming from that place of alignment that we were talking about earlier, where it's not just about the money or the fame. 
but there's this sort of stigma. It's like, oh, if I, char- you know, am I worth it to charge that much, or am I going to be frowned upon if I if I make a lot of money? But I think you nailed it. In order to maximize your impact in the world, you need cash. You need to be, and it's and it's solely to amplify your message. You know, the the people in the world that are you know destroying the planet or or purveyors of evil, they have got a lot of money. So if we're going to, you know, as heart-centered entrepreneurs looking to make a positive impact in the world, we need to be able to amplify that message and and our heart-centered um, sort of MO with money, you know? And it doesn't mean to be need to be just money for the sake of money. It's like it's like a choice multiplier. It gives you options, like you said earlier, right? It gives us options in what to do in the world, not necessarily from a greed perspective but from a positive impact perspective. So I totally agree. Um, awesome, man. This is just incredible. We could sit here and just rap all day, but uh, you know, I want to be cognizant of your time. So I'm just going to ask you a few more questions. Um, where are you now? Like, I know you're doing lots of, you mentioned, mentioned your work in prison systems. You have um, the activated brand. I want to ask you about that. What, tell me about that. What's that all about? So activated.life is our website and it's our nonprofit, myself and Parveen Panwar, who is actually the founder and I helped him co-found it. And it's really a um, nonprofit focused on mental health within the entrepreneur community, Mm, within the solopreneur community, within the leadership community. Awesome. Um, As an entrepreneur, I'm part of a lot of entrepreneur networks. And I see within those networks, like just a ton of addiction happening. Mm. People just working themselves to death. My friend mm. actually died. Um, oh my God. So we sorry don't even that, know man. what happened, but yeah, she was like 35 years old, female entrepreneur. And she had a, um, something mentally and chemically happened. Like she never had anything happen in her life, but she went on like this manic episode Never did drugs, really drank a little bit and uh, we found her dead in her car uh, after six days of looking for her. And it was mm. just a tragedy. And they think she had a manic episode that developed something and, and she passed. Um, wow. So and there's several entrepreneurs over the past year or two that have been either committed suicide because of the pressure or a variety of other things. So we want to focus in that. Uh, area and self-care is like a big thing. So we basically have a paper principle. It's, it's P-A-P-E-R. And the five principles we live by are being positive every day you wake up, having a positive mindset. Um, then it's about being authentic to who you are, no matter what anybody else thinks about you. It's being passionate every day about the work that you're doing about being empathetic to others and paying it forward because it'll always pay you back. And the R stands for being resilient in life. Because if mm. you're an entrepreneur, just like an addict, you're going to get knocked down in life. It's not about being at the bottom of the barrel. It's about getting yourself back up and moving forward on that path. And that's kind of our paper principle and what we kind of built this community around. And we have retreats every year. We have one coming up in Costa Rica in April. Um, and we're going to be doing, you know, some breath work, some cold plunges, uh, some um, alignment kind of workshops. But then also we're going to learn how to make uh, from the Costa Rican indigenous people. 
uh, how to make different woodworking stuff that they do. There's a plant-based mm. chef there. The whole thing's plant-based. The, plant, the chef is 50% blind, 40% deaf. He healed himself through Eastern medicine and um, food. And so, uh, the, and, and there's, uh, it's called Imaloa Institute where we're having it. We're going to have hikes up to private waterfalls. We're going to have lunches from the chef. It's just going to be, um, and then we're 15 minutes from the beach. So it's going to be amazing. Um, and, you know, we could leave the link if anybody's interested in finding out more. A hundred percent. That sounds amazing. I'll definitely put the link in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Uh, you better be there. I mean, you have no excuse. You're in Costa Rica already. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, amazing, mm-hmm. dude. Well, this has just been incredible. Michael Dash, I really appreciate your time, brother. Um, I've got one more question for you, and it is this. If you were to take all of your experiences, all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom you've gained and distill them down into one message, what would it be? Don't make emotional decisions. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we'll just leave it at that. I love it. That's beautiful, <laughs> man. <laughs> Michael Dash, I'm honored to uh, call you a friend and a mentor, and I really appreciate your time today, brother. Thanks, Patrick. It was great. Right on. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will... Um, add the the link to chasing the high michael's book and to his other initiative initiatives activated.life uh in the show notes so definitely reach out to him if you are an entrepreneur and looking for assistance he is the man he's been through it and it means you don't have to go through it too all right brother thank you so much michael have a great day thanks my man talk to you soon Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate, and review. For more information and show notes, head on over to being-podcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, live your being.